0: Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and myself wrap up our Q&A discussion, answering questions from you, the listener. Sit back and enjoy.
1: Welcome to Being Lutheran. I'm Pastor
0: Brett Bowe, and I have with me Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brian Ricky, and we have a four-legged visitor. Yes, Sally's joined us. So the day that we're recording this, it's like ten below, and Sally is my English Springer Spaniel, <laughs> and she's hanging out with us today. And so she's enjoying this wonderful recording. She's basking of in Lutheran, the Lutheran theology. She is. <laughs> <laughs> she is. And you're in, in pure European distinction. She's sitting there silently, quietly. Yes. While she drinks, not her tea, but her water. Nice. <laughs> very proper. <laughs> the the
1: vocation of dog owner exactly. comes through. Yeah. Yep. Loving your neighbor the dog.
0: Well, and you know, she's a, she's pretty anxious. <laughs> she's she doesn't kennel well. Mm-hmm. And she's she's the smartest dog we've ever owned. Mm-hmm. Um and she's very gentle and very very wonderful, but she doesn't kennel well. And so uh, we've just decided on days that it's a certain degree holder that i just take her to work with me Mm -hmm. and that's worked out today so great welcome welcome
1: sally so we have a couple more
0: questions (laughs) to wrap up our q a segment that's right third Uh, of
2: three q a episodes as we bridge the gap between the catechisms and the augsburg confession Mm -hmm. and the apology
0: i'm kind of excited about getting into the augsburg confession yeah yeah, me too me
1: too
2: now, there's yeah, there's a couple of really fun articles that are just fun to think about again. Mm-hmm. And we
0: get to talk about it a little bit today.
1: Yes. Just a little bit. Yes. Next episode. Yeah. because yeah. There is a great question here that segues into that, too. So, yep. but we have to start with one that uh keith uh Keith grindy always asks this question over whenever we asked for when it's relevant once again yes, at this time of year i mean it's like clockwork it just, <laughs> <laughs> he says when is or no why can't the Vikings ever win the super Bowl vocation
2: <laughs> and, and, and in this case, the Vikings can't win the Super Bowl because they 're not uh, particularly good at their
1: vocations <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes. and we are based in the twin Cities, so listeners yes. that 's why we the vocation of Vikings. a Vikings fan mm-hmm. is one of suffering and bearing your cross. Right. It just for you guys that are Vikings fans that it's it's a good. Didn't we just preparing. talk about the two
0: kingdoms, or yeah. the two realms? Mm-hmm. I should say, and <laughs> you know, kind of
2: getting the the two realms in this case are teams that win big football <laughs> games and the Vikings. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, so, there we
2: go. Apologies to non-sports fans. We've got to get that out of
1: our system. Yes. Thanks, Keith, for starting us off right. Yeah. That's right. But our real first
0: question... We could just say that they didn't have enough faith. Oh. Ouch. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) That was a a dig.
1: That was a dig. Particular
0: proclivity saying that you have to use your flexure muscle of your own faith muscles to believe harder so that God will give you things. Mm -hmm. We do not ascribe to that in this podcast. No,
1: no, no. Uh, But we do subscribe to good questions and good... (laughs) Good
0: vocation. Good. That, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a segue. was <laughs> should just start over. That was
1: a segue. Oh. All right, well, uh, we said last time, and I want to say this again, we have smart listeners and we appreciate that. And our next question is uh, from Chris Kumpala. Pastor Kumpala says, how do we articulate a strong Lutheran stance on scripture that A, is distinctive, and B, avoids the, quote, no true Scotsman, unquote, trap.
0: All right. So we should probably describe the no true yeah, Scotsman. Yeah, yep, that's a good place yeah, to let's start. start and and
1: reverse engineer this. And uh, that is? The logical fallacy.
0: The logical fallacy. Mm-hmm. See, I, I needed you to say that. <laughs> I was going to look it up on the Google here.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. well, I, I Googled it. <laughs> so yeah, circular right. reasoning, yeah, in yeah. a sense. Kind of, yeah.
0: Which we talked about actually off mic a little bit. So, Do you
1: want me to read the... The the no true Scot- I think that'd no be good In a Scottish accent uh, I can't pull oh, that I, off of <laughs> <no true Scotsman. laughs> That's great oh. Alright so this, this is, There's a great chart by the way If, if you ever find those the, yeah. the logical fallacy charts And so the no true Scotsman is uh, You made what could be called An appeal to purity As a way to dismiss relevant criticisms Or flaws mm. of your argument Uh, In this form of faulty reasoning, one's belief is rendered unfalsifiable because no matter how compelling the evidence is, one simply shifts the goalpost so that it wouldn't apply to a supposedly true example.
0: This is exactly Uh, what we talked about off mic. (laughs) Well,
1: I was going to say, maybe
2: this is what happens to the Vikings is that people keep moving the goalposts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) couldn't read this. Oh, man. And there is, a, there is a sense of that, um, and I'm, I'm assuming that he is referring to the Chicago inerrancy, uh, statement mm-hmm. of inerrancy, which most right. conservative a Lutheran evangelicals um, ascribe to. Um, the part that could be considered, and I'm just saying for my own opinion, this is my opinion, not necessarily that of my brothers in Christ across from the table from me. Uh, there is a part of that that could be seen as circular reasoning, and it is the aspect of ascribing to authority and inerrancy in the original manuscripts which we don't have and so if someone a thinking person asked the question and i have been asked this question by several people well if that's the case then what do we have in scripture in our hand the bible that i'm holding in my hand and at the time he was holding an esv translation what what do i have and um, and so, I think that would be a good thing to be a addressed. A hipster Bible. Exactly. And then, from a Lutheran <laughs> perspective, then what is the distinction in how we ascribe yeah. to the authority and inerrancy of Scripture?
2: Mm-hmm. I can speak to it first from an evidential, Spartan, we can talk th- about the theology of it too. Evidentially, what we have in Scripture, especially as it pertains to the New Testament, is only one-fifth of 1% Mm -hmm. functionally different than what the original manuscripts stated. And so, if you read popular atheistic debunking of the reliability of Scripture, you come across someone like Bart Ehrman, Mm -hmm. who will literally say, and he has said this, that the Bible contains more errors than it has words. Hmm. And that's being disingenuous with the manuscript evidence, because some of them, like a Greek word is one letter, the Mm -hmm. Greek word for the letter the can be one letter, and sometimes it's there, and sometimes it's not there, and that's yeah. called as a called an error. Okay, when you take the manuscripts of the New Testament mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and compare everything, first of all, we have more manuscripts of the New Testament, more copies of the originals. We don't have the originals, more copies of the originals than any other work in in ancient literature in, in, in by, by a factor of mm-hmm. like 20 at yeah. least. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it goes through it. We have uh, the manuscripts that we do have, again, the copies of the originals and not the originals, are closer in date mm-hmm. to the originals than any other work of ancient literature. In fact, many people... Including myself, uh, believe that with some recent archaeological discoveries, we can get to within ten years of the authorship of the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, uh, uh, a a portion of a manuscript of Matthew discovered that we can maybe date to the mid-sixties. Uh, not the nineteen-sixties. Not, yeah, not the mid. Actual 60s, yeah, 60 no, AD. no, yeah, no 60 There's no AD. prefix yeah, on that. Right. Just 60 AD, like yeah. 64 or something yeah. like that, and that's important. So the quantity we want to be able to compare something because if you only find one, mm-hmm. you don't know if it's an accurate reflection of the original. So if we have, like, say, forty thousand, which is about where we're at for manuscripts and copies of manuscripts, and
1: I sense and your mentions. training with yeah, uh, I have, face search. Has, I, is I've been formally here. trained in this yeah. area, and
2: I have the stats. At hand in Mm -hmm. my brain. Um, So that's important. You want it to be close because legends develop after about 150 years of time. And um, we can get quotes from 24 of the 27 New Testament books by at least the year 100. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And the whole New Testament shortly after that, the span of time isn't enough time for legends to develop, no matter what some of the scholarly, uh, liberal-leaning resources, you know, like the books of Timothy and Titus weren't written in the third century, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But the dating of the manuscripts is important. The Bible is much closer than that. And then finally, you have to ask the question, how accurately were they copied? Okay, the three go to from the organization I was trained with, Faith Search International. Uh, Dr. Don Byerly mm-hmm. uh, was my boss for ten years. Um, you look at three important works of ancient literature. One is the Mahabharata, which is the kind of the Hindu Bible. Uh, if you look at all the manuscript evidence and how accurately it was copied, looking from one manuscript to the next, the Mahabharata, one out of every ten words or so is you, you don't know. Where it came from. No, that's not every 10th word. They're just significant passages. But that's 10% of the Mahabharata has a dubious origin. Mm -hmm. If you look at a document, which is a religious document, but it's treated as fiction now in high schools and colleges, the Iliad Mm -hmm. by Homer. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one out of every 20 words has been distorted. Uh, And you know what? When I went to high school and college, there was no doubt that Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, and it wasn't being presented as mm-hmm. if we might not know the content. Granted, it's not making the claims of Scripture. It's an important distinction. So then you do the same thing to Scripture, the same exact scholarly process, and um, you look at Scripture, and it's one fifth out of 1% distortion rate. Okay, What that adds up is one out of every 1,000 words is dubious. It, we don't know the origin. In that, Making that, you know, caveat, no doctrine of the Orthodox Church, uh, not capital or Orthodox, little or Orthodox, is compromised. Um, Almost all of the dubious passages in a modern uh, translation will be noted. If you have a Bible, look Mm -hmm. at Mark 16, 9 through 20. You'll see that footnoted. John chapter 8, the story of the woman at the well is footnoted. And then you'll see notes in your Bible In different places, but when it comes down to can we trust Scripture? What do we have in our hands? The answer is we have a more than reasonable reproduction of Scripture as it was inspired and originally recorded by the authors. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily exact, but it's as close as we're ever going to get, and there's no reason to question it. Amen. Okay. Theologically speaking, Mm -hmm. what it means is we need to acknowledge that Scripture is a theological. Document. It's yeah. not a science textbook. That's where maybe where his question about yep.
1: distinctively
2: Lutheran. Yep. yep, it's it's not a science textbook. It's not intended. Although we confess, it accurately records history. It, the accurate recording of history wasn't the focus. Mm-hmm. And so, like the New Testament books, uh, the Gospels might not be in chronological order mm-hmm. because they're trying to communicate. I mean, John twenty, twenty and twenty one works as a good. Uh, working summary of the purpose of all scripture, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have faith in his name.
0: The other thing you have to be really careful with is placing modern Western criteria on an ancient Eastern yep. book. Um, It was written from a purely Jewish Eastern perspective. It necessarily didn't want to be chronological, though there are aspects of the book that is chronological. But at at the same time, uh, this was written uh, so that the Lord God, the triune God of all creation, could reveal (laughs) humanity's need for redemption, Mm -hmm. the promise of redemption. That promise that was made to and through the nation of Israel, the realization of that in Christ, who then equipped and empowered the church through his salvation and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be the church, the hands and feet of Christ, the body of Christ, in a way that would preach the gospel of Christ to the world.
2: And so we take all of that mouthful that we've just kind of put on everyone. We answer Chris's question. How do we have a distinctly Lutheran perspective on scripture without disqualifying everyone else for not being lutheran enough mm-hmm. really is what he's asking
0: the so to be lutheran do we have to just talk about it in german now
2: yes uh. okay so <laughs> the standard is luther's translation of scripture. No. <laughs> nine uh the, the most effective way i have to answer that and we've we've brought this up several times because it's the impetus of the existence of this podcast the best way we as lutherans do this is to talk about what we stand for mhm and not what we stand against. Yeah. Yeah. What do we have? What do we believe? And why do we believe it? And not what do we disagree with? And why do we disagree with it? Mm-hmm. Anyone in the world, literally anyone in the world can tell me what they don't believe and it doesn't matter. It doesn't change me at all. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. We talked about this in our arc on the sacraments. My Mm -hmm. main criticism of Baptist sacramental theology is that the average Baptist member of a Baptist church can tell you what they don't Mm -hmm. believe about baptism, but they Mm -hmm. can't tell you what they do believe about baptism. Lutherans can't fall into that same trap. Mm -hmm. We have to tell you what we do believe, why we believe it, and why that is important for your life as a yeah, Christian. Yeah, right. And in the end, my perspective, and I'll let you jump in here, Brian, my perspective is what the Lutherans have more than anyone else is we have confidence and assurance of Absolutely. salvation.
0: Uh, one aspect, not all of it, but, and we talked about this a little bit off mic, but uh, a part of it or a, an element of it or a characteristic of talking about the authority and inspiration of scripture is hermeneutical. Yep. Uh, one of our hermeneutical rules of uh, of a pastor or a teacher or a preacher is to find out the original meaning of the text to, as it was intended by God to its original audience. And so that's part of, of establishing a really strong stand. Mm-hmm. On the authority of Scripture, what was god 's original intended meaning to its original intended audience nonbelievers to Israel and and to the to Greek to Greek soon to be believing church, what was that original intended meaning and it was obviously to reveal god 's plan of salvation to and oh. through the nation of Israel for the sake of people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, be baptized into the faith to equip and empower the church, to be the church, and to always have the hope of eternal life and the assurance of faith that was revealed and fulfilled through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Yep. In that, it's flawless. Yep. It's absolutely flawless. And, and, and part of that,
2: in in contextually, we want to realize and, and think about and, and ascertain what the original audi- authors of Scripture were saying to their original audience, how they would have understood it. but. Even in that, the big picture, what the original authors were saying to their original audience was: Scripture points us to Christ. Mm-hmm. Scripture delivers Christ. As so you said, Brian, Scripture delivers God's plan of salvation, and and that's a you know maybe not uniquely, but a little bit uniquely Lutheran. That our focus isn't on that that moralistic, therapeutic deism mm-hmm. that Scripture makes my life better. It's a it's a you know especially coming out of 90s Christianity, the Bible is an instruction (laughs) manual for life. Mm. No, the Bible, yeah, exactly. The Bible delivers Christ. The Bible delivers Christ crucified for the forgiveness
1: of my sins. Amen. Yep, Yep. that's right. Hallelujah. Well, should we move on to the next question here? Our final question that serves as our introduction for the next series. All right, yes. In addition to the question about the Vikings, uh, Keith, <laughs> Keith had an actual serious Keith question. A, too. <laughs> right, that's just maybe he was s- and, and serious and about
0: just this. for you. We're in yeah. sackcloth and ashes today, you know. Aside from Brett, because he's from Chicago, but yeah. Well, see well, the
2: way I'm the way different kind of we, we didn't
1: yeah. even make the playoffs. Yeah, so. the, the
2: the way I look at it, I'm a baseball fan, so football doesn't really affect me that much. They're
1: <laughs> going down this year. All right. Okay, whatever. <laughs> All right, so uh, Keith also asked. Um, Please give me the history of why Norwegian Lutherans have not subscribed to the whole Book of Concord. All right, so in seven minutes
2: or less, we have to <laughs> nah. we have to describe what Keith is talking about and why it happened that way. Because, because, because. just yeah. because. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for the question. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> the, don't ask questions, just believe. Uh, uh, oh. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
2: no. So first of all, the whole Book of Concord, uh, the Lutheran Confessions. Yeah. Uh, is a book that was assembled in the year 1580 by the theological descendants of Martin Luther, a lot of his students. Uh, the two main assemblers of the Book of Concord were Martin Chemnitz, mm-hmm. who is known as the second Martin. Yep. one uh, of my favorite authors. Yeah, Chemnitz is girl g- 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 great. I can't get that word out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, please edit that out. Uh, uh. Uh, and the other one was Jacob Andrei, Uh and they put it together. Uh, so that the people who didn't have a figurehead like Luther mm-hmm. knew what to confess. And so the whole book of Concord consists of the three ecumenical creeds, the small catechism and the large catechism, the Augsburg Confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, the small called articles, the treatise on the power and primacy of the Pope, and the formula of Concord, both parts. The epitome, which are the summary statements, mm-hmm. and the solid declaration, which are the long explanations. Mm-hmm. Okay? That is the book of Concord as a whole. Yes. No. Traditionally speaking, German Lutherans and the descendants of German Lutheran yeah. evangelists and yeah. pastors. <laughs> yeah. Um, they uh, subscribe to the whole book of Concord as their theological position. Sure. Okay. Missouri Synod does this. Yes. Um, technically the ELCA in name only also does this, <laughs> not in practice. Um, and in, in denominations in fellowship with, the Missouri Synod or are like-minded, also subscribe to like the, the Whole Book Wisconsin, yeah. the ELS, yeah. and I believe the AALC is Whole yeah. Book of Concord. Those you. are the Thank the you. big ones. I, I don't know where the the two newest Lutheran denominations, the LCMC and the NALC, yeah. but since they both came out of ELC, I would imagine they have something along those lines in yeah. there. Okay, exactly. Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. Lutheran churches and those who bear the mantle of Scandinavian Lutherans, of which the AFLC, which we are pastors Mm -hmm. in that denomination, is the last remaining survivor of Scandinavian Lutheranism in North America, historically have only subscribed to the small catechism and the unaltered Augsburg Confession. So that is the context for Keith's questions. How,
1: How is it in the LB as well? I can't.
0: Lutheran yeah. brethren, Lutheran
2: yeah. brethren, <coughs> that would be. Yeah, yeah. Yep. sorry. In the, and the mm-hmm. LB is the we are not the only ones. I the was going to say yeah, sorry, yeah, right. LB. Yeah. My That's, bad. That's my my cousin. Yeah, my cousin, you, yeah. You're, um, <laughs> LB is also a remnant of Scandinavian yes. Lutheran theology. Yeah. Um, sorry, my bad. Mea culpa, mea culpa. Um, <laughs> we have traditionally only in the AFLC today yeah. only requires their pastors to subscribe to the small catechism mm-hmm. and the unaltered Oxford confession. There are two possible and competing answers for why this is the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the more common one the one that we were taught in seminary mm-hmm. is that the Scandinavians believed uh, that the rest of the book of Concord after the small catechism and unaltered Augsburg confession were specifically German documents and were not necessary for Scandinavian uh, churches to function. Mm -hmm. Um, It it historically uh, has been an open question for individual Scandinavians. Uh, I, as a Norwegian Lutheran pastor, have no hesitation to say that I subscribe to the whole book of Concord. I've I've read it several times. Your heritage
1: is, you are a Norwegian? I'm half Norwegian and half
2: Czech. Oh. The Czech side of my family is Roman Catholic.
0: Hmm.
1: So, can't uh, remember what, what's your background, Oh, Brian? primarily
0: German. German? Like, yeah, 80-ish percent German with a little bit of a smattering of other things. Yeah, that's so. kind of what yeah.
2: most Americans end up being. I have like, right, one dominant Heinz ethnicity. 57, and, yeah, yeah, Heinz 57, right. <laughs> V8, yeah. something like that.
1: It's kind of the way it is for me, too. Mostly Norwegian, but other a whole things. bunch of other stuff, too. Yeah,
2: yeah. but anyway... It's been an open question. Mm-hmm. Now, some confusion has come out of that, especially in modern American Lutheranism, that if you don't subscribe to the whole Book of Concord, mm-hmm. you reject the rest of the Book of Concord. There right. are people in our denomination yeah. who think that's mm-hmm. the case, and yeah. that's the accusation from people on the outside looking in. Yeah. At, well, why do you... You're why, not confessional. Yeah, why do you yeah. hate the large catechism? You know, mm-hmm. kind of stuff like that. Um, so that's there. A recent reading that I've done indicate that might not be the best answer for why we don't do that. Mm -hmm. I just got forwarded uh, an article from a journal from the seventies actually. Hmm. Um, And Keith, if you want it, just email me and I'll send it your way. Um, (laughs) That seems to indicate. uh, So King Christian of Denmark was there at the diet of worms Mm -hmm. uh, when Luther made that uh, I cannot and will not recant. I cannot do otherwise here. I stand God help me. Um, And he took, Lutheran theology, and he was won over to the cause of the Reformation and adopted the Augsburg Confession when it came. There's some evidence that seemed to indicate the theological descendants of the monarchy in -hmm. Scandinavia at the time. And at the time of the Reformation, there was no such thing as Norway, Sweden, you Mm -hmm. know, things like that. It was Scandinavia, mostly ruled by Denmark. And then in the later 1500s, Sweden kind of took a prominent role. That's where you get Gustavus uh, Adolphus and I think Gustav Vasa or Gustavus Vasa. but anyway, that the next generations of Scandinavian leaders were actually Calvinists. And in this paper that I've read made a pretty compelling argument that the uh, when the Book of Concord was published, the current king of Denmark, I think it was just Christian II, I don't know, just speculation so I could get a name out there, um, refused to allow it to be admitted into Scandinavia, that they would burn it if they found it. it was a crime to own a book of Concord. And it would seem to me that's a lot more plausible than not just simply interacting, well, the Germans wrote this, so if it's good, we should adopt it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, that the next generations of um, Norwegian leaders, of, of Scandinavian leaders, were at the very least crypto-Calvinists and maybe overtly Calvinistic. And and unfortunately, and I am one who greatly appreciates, I have friends who are Reformed and Calvinist. I appreciate their contribution to the Reformation. Politically speaking, the Lutherans and the Calvinists went after each other pretty hardcore for about yeah. the hundred years after Luther mm-hmm. died. Yeah. And, it, and it was really an unfortunate situation. And so that is mm-hmm. what some believe led to why we in the AFLC today only require... Pastors to subscribe to the Small Catechism and Unaltered Oxford
0: Confession. Yep. Still like my answer better because yeah. because just because. <laughs> so
1: it is well, history. And, and the other thing too, just practically speaking, I'd be delighted if people in my church read just those just basic. Those two. Yeah, right. if we could just start yeah. with
0: those two documents. Yeah. It would be better than nothing yes. at all. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I remember getting that assignment, and I was a little overwhelmed. I had uh, been out of school for a long time. I was forty going into seminary, so I hadn't really been. Really great at reading large books. So when we, we got, when we received that uh, oh. syllabus where we had to read that whole thing, <laughs> I was like, oh no. And, but when I got to the formula of Concord, I was so blessed, um, especially even of yeah. apology, which it doesn't, it's not, it's not saying it's sorry, it's, it's like a defense of it, but it's really a great, great summary of what we believe, teach, and confess. Yeah, and, right. um, yep. yeah, I was really a blessing once I hit. The Formula of Concord, for me personally, especially when it got into the the differences of election and some mm-hmm. of those things, it was really a blessing. It's,
2: it's worth your time if you take to read it. It's a daunting task. Most modern publications of the Book of Concord run between seven and eight hundred pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, can be broken yeah, down. We've the mentioned before. Reader's edition is nice. Yeah, the reader's. the a ed-
0: podcast that recently did something on the large catechism. Not that long ago, or the Being uh... Lutheran podcast. Oh,
2: yeah, it was. (laughs) Take you through article by article. Yeah, what if you get a if you get a readers edition of the Book of Concord? It's in a little bit more readable language, at least from my perspective. They have plans to read it. Yeah, you know, just on weekdays through the Mm -hmm. whole year. Um,
0: then 365 days you read it. I follow that reading plan mm-hmm. as part of my devotions. Yeah. The dean of our um, seminary at the time mm-hmm. we were attending, all three of us were attending, used it as a devotional. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep,
2: that's yep. good. And, and that's that's how I've done it in the past, but it's worth exposure. But again, thank you, Keith, uh, mm-hmm. and thank you, Chris, and everyone over the last yes. few episodes for submitting your good questions. Absolutely. Really well worth our time to discuss it. I hope mm-hmm. it was worth your time to
0: listen. You want to close out this
2: part? Yeah, and I hope it
0: whets people's appetite for what, what's coming next, because we're going to talk about the yeah. unaltered Augsburg Confession. So, and apology. Yeah, exactly. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, I thought it'd be appropriate, based on our first question from Pastor Kumpula, uh, says this, beginning in verse 19. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy of Scripture ever was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and myself jump into a new series on the Augsburg Confession.